630 Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 630 Chad. U.S. Open is underway. Denis Shapovalov, Canadian, 6-4-4-6, victory over Sebastian Korda. Talk a little bit more tennis with Jack Michaels between 7.30 and 8 tonight. Hockey scoreboard, still the second intermission in Toronto. 1-1 Boston and Tampa Bay. Well, they're about to drop the puck for the third. We'll keep you updated. Boston must win to prolong the series. They are out shooting the Lightning 23-13 tonight. Stars and Avalanche face off in about 40 minutes at Rogers Place. Islanders, Flyers, Vancouver, and Vegas coming up tomorrow. The Blue Jays lost 4-3 in 11 to uh, Baltimore. A lot of tight games in that series. Though the Blue Jays trying to qualify here for the expanded postseason they, they've been doing okay they are 18 and 15 now and uh remember with the, the there are more wild card spots up for grabs this year so the blue jays a game and a half out of the wild card as we're uh, i guess a little bit past the halfway point of the season 60 game season so the blue jays decided to add today they get left-handed pitcher robbie ray from arizona He's only one and four on the season. I mean, look, his numbers are not very good this year. He's one and four with a seven point eight four eight four ERA for his career, forty eight and fifty with a four two five ERA. Uh, will go into the rotation, and you got to remember the Blue Jays have not had a starter pitch into the seventh inning since last August. So that's a span of sixty five games in this deal. Toronto uh, also gets cash, and they give up left handed pitcher Travis Bergen. They uh, also get infielder Jonathan VR from Miami. Had a career-high 24 homers last year with Baltimore. He's a switch hitter, batting 272, has two homers so far this season. He can also steal bases. And they get right-handed, uh, right-handed pitcher Ross Stripling from the L.A. Dodgers, 3-1 and one in seven starts this season. Acquired for the ever-popular two players to be named later, which means he could wind up being traded for himself. All right, so we'll see if those guys can uh, help the Jays. Who, uh, you know, I don't watch every Blue Jays game. I see bits and pieces, but they're fun to watch. Uh, I was watching on Friday. They uh, went to extra innings with uh, with Baltimore and uh, gave up. Around. You're starting with a runner on second base now for the rules this year. So they, they got scored on, and then uh, Gritchuk came up and hit a walk-off home run. They had a walk-off victory yesterday. Couldn't quite do it today. Actually had a... Uh, chance to tie it, but uh, the player got thrown out at home plate as they tried to tie it in the bottom of the 11th. So uh, anyway, a little bit there on the Blue Jays, and we'll see what they can uh, they can put together as we move along. I want to touch on a little bit of basketball here uh, as well. Uh, John Thompson, former Georgetown men's basketball coach, really a legendary coach in the NCAA. He has passed away, and one of uh, his rival coaches was reacting to his loss. Syracuse's Jim Beheim tells ESPN the sports world has lost a giant in the passing of legendary Georgetown coach John Thompson. He was a bigger-than-life figure, and he empowered a lot of African-American coaches and kids to come in and be the best. Thompson became the first black coach to lead a team to a championship back in 1984. One of his most memorable moments, though, came five years later when he walked off the court to a standing ovation, protesting an NCAA rule that denied scholarships to freshmen who didn't meet certain requirements. He said it was biased against underprivileged students, and the rule was later changed. Sherry Preston, ABC News. 
Thompson inducted into the uh, Hall of Fame in 1999, and uh, yeah, really credited with uh, with opening the door for minority coaches in the NCAA. That uh, night, that 84 coaches they mentioned in the story, the first by a black head coach in the uh, in the NCAA. So yeah, really a large figure in uh, the NCAA world, and uh, he will be a missed, very important coach. Meanwhile, in the NBA, the Raptors uh, opened it up yesterday against the Celtics, and uh, they were not good. They were not good at all. They got steamrolled 112-94. Little concerning here. Toronto has played Boston five times this season. They have lost four of them. Coach Nick Nurse saying today that he's not crazy about seeing the team angry. I'm not sure it's what I want to see, right? I'd much rather be holding hands and skipping rope after a win. You know what I mean? But, um, again, this is where we find ourselves. And, well, maybe I was the one that was pissed off, Greg. I don't know. Maybe I was reading it wrong. But let's let's see. I mean, again, you, you, we're going to find out our mood today isn't going to affect tomorrow much. It's when the ball goes up tomorrow what we're, what we're going to be like. All right. So, yeah, Raptors and Celtics will play game two tomorrow and just that they they don't actually uh, hold hands and skip rope after wins that would be funny if they did though well watch some of the golf on the weekend kellen you're i did you what did you do on the weekend did you watch anything there was a lot going on i saw like i said a little bit of baseball uh quite a bit of hockey uh golf yesterday yeah yeah, there was a ton of stuff going on some but i started watching the raptors game in the second half Mm. unfortunately they were already behind by like 22 points when i started watching did you see any of the golf or the highlights from yesterday i didn't see any of the golf highlights no but i was flipping between like hockey and basketball and it's all you you gotta watch these putts just just google dustin johnson putt john rom putt Mm. uh like these were just insane Putts. First of all, Dustin Johnson comes to the 18th hole, down a shot, needs a birdie to tie, and he had about a 30-footer, and uh, downhill, he was up on kind of the, the higher tier of the green, and uh, he ran it down, aiming to the left of the hole. It's It swooped back to the right, and then looked like it was going to drift away, and he just read it perfectly, and then the last few feet, it cuts back and goes in, and he forces the playoff, and I'm thinking, well, that's an incredible shot. That's the shot of the day. Mm. Then they're playing 18 again on the playoff, Johnson against Rom, and Rom has a 66-footer. And he <laughs> just an incredible putt. He also had to negotiate that ridge more from the side as opposed to straight. Johnson was a little more straight down it. Rom was more from the side. So he aims way, way left of the hole, and it takes the ridge and feeds down and feeds down. And uh, it goes in, and he wins the tournament. Well, Johnson still putted after that, but uh, Johnson was was putting to tie again at that point. So in, incredible. I've been thinking, I, I have lamented my own golf game quite a bit on this show, and I was doing it on Oilers Now earlier today. And putting is such a, I mean, when you're putting well, even just a, a hacker like me, when you have a good day, when you're just feeling it on the greens or you just get the speed, it's such a good feeling and you can take strokes off your round because there's a lot of rounds. I'll be like, man, I did not hit the ball well today, but I got it onto the green and I, I two putted, or maybe I made a couple longer putts that, that I didn't expect to make. Now for me though, there, there's a point where if if the greens are really slick, I, I just have trouble negotiating them because there, there are a lot of places where the green might have subtle break and you think, okay, I got to aim three cups outside the hole. And then you hit it and you realize, oh my God, I needed to aim like five feet outside the hole. Forget about just a couple, a, a couple widths of the cup. 
but I remember, and I, I like golf, Kellen. I, I like the the mental aspect of it, especially. I like watching the, the players who are the, the top golfers in the world and how they, they deal with problems yeah. and and come back from bad holes or mm-hmm. play their way out of trouble and some of the shots they can make. And obviously on the PGA Tour, the greens are incredibly fast all the time, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, that's just, that's just the standard. And for... Well, a lot of times, uh, kind of an everyday golfer like me will say, well, I, I prefer the slower greens because I know if I miss, the ball is still going to be near the hole. It, it, it won't it won't slide away. But I, I remember watching a telecast, it was either last year or the summer before, but Curtis Strange and, uh, and Paul Azinger were talking about putting and having a downhill putt on fast greens. And they said for the pros, that, that doesn't intimidate them at all because – because they know they can get the ball there. They're not, they're not going to wind up being short and they can try to do something, you know, kind of creative with, with reading the break and, and how they're going to put the pace on their shot and, and use the break to get the ball to the hole. So I found that really interesting. And again, another thing that one of many things <laughs> that would separate a PGA player from uh, people like me. And I'm probably a lot of the, a lot of the people listening, but anyway, I, but so I, I've tried to, when, I, when I'm now playing on fast greens and yeah, where did I play? I, I played at Mill Woods a few weeks ago and I was really surprised how quick the greens were. I mentioned I played at Yager Ridge on uh Thursday, I thought it was a really nice course, uh, but it was one of those where the the greens were slick and you think maybe there wasn't a lot of break. But I try to think like, okay, I can get the ball to the hole, give it a good line where you give it a chance to go in. But I, but I wasn't quite uh, good at reading the, those breaks. Speaking of which, Josh texted in. He says, uh, hey, Reed, I loved hearing you describe your golf game on Thursday on Oilers Now. I'm sure you're not that bad. Yager Ridge is a tough course, tight fairways. You cross the creek four times, elevated tee boxes. The rule is it usually breaks towards the creek 90% of the time. Josh, where were you on Thursday when I was playing? <laughs> uh, and trust me, Josh, I am that bad. But I appreciate you saying I'm sure you're not that bad. I am that bad. But I, Yager Ridge was was tough. There are some tight fairways the elevated tee boxes uh, provide some spectacular views. It doesn't always make it make it an easier shot. Sometimes you get in the mindset where oh, it's an elevated tee box, I can just I can just pound it, but then you you overswing a little bit and don't actually hit a good shot. And I got to admit to everyone, I I made a mistake, and I am not a great golfer. Uh, I will play the white tees when I play. I'm not ashamed to say it. I, I don't hit the ball a long way. If I can keep it in play, I, I will do okay. And like I said, if I can putt, so usually I'm playing a course that's between 5,800 and, and 6,200 yards, I suppose, between depending on what the white tees were. Well, I was golfing with two of my golfing buddies and, and they were playing the blues. And I thought, okay, today I'll play the blues. And I was just, just made it more, even more miserable for myself. But honestly, Kellen, here's the thing that worries me. I think there's something about golf that clicks in my brain. And I, for some reason, I, it's almost like I like punishing myself. And that frightens me because I, I know I'm bad at it. I know I'm going to probably do poorly. I know I'm going to hit bad shots. But yet there's something in my brain that tells me you, get, you just, you just got to keep trying and you got to keep trying because there's going to be that one day where everything clicks. And that's why I always score fairly, right? Like if I, if I got to take a drop, I take a penalty. You know, if I, I, I'm not, if, if I miss a putt by an inch, 
I'll take the gimme. I won't putt it out, but I'll take the shot. You know, I won't say, oh, I part it. You know, I barely missed the putt, so I'll just take that score. But I, I think I'm always telling myself because that one day you might have a good round and you got to know that you've been scoring honestly and this is really your score now. And all those times you shot 98 or 105 or whatever, that day you can shoot 87, you, you really shot that. Like that was actually your score. So that they, I, I have this really bizarre relationship with golf. I actually think it might be a little unhealthy. But – uh, I've been texting a couple people today about playing this week or next. So I'm getting back out there, even though there are times when I was playing and I had this feeling playing on Thursday where I was telling myself, well, this is it. This is it. This is my last round. going to get home, take some pictures of the clubs, put them on Kijiji. Uh, you know, that'll be it. That'll be it for golf. And now I'm talking about playing again. 780-496-0063 is the number to call or text. Still 1-1 Boston and Tampa. 14 minutes left in the third. Back after this break. and a half minutes left in the third period Boston and Tampa Bay tied at one Tampa trying to win the series Boston trying to force game six in a couple of days we will keep you updated and of course it is the stars and the avalanche scheduled to start at 745 right here at Rogers Place all the games will be at Rogers Place in the conference finals and the Stanley Cup final and uh, you know the second round could end tomorrow if the teams with the 3-1 series lead win all the games and then maybe we're looking at uh, Friday or Saturday for a start to uh, the conference finals. We will have uh, games in the conference finals and the Stanley Cup final on 630 Chet. So we'll keep you posted on what the schedule will be for those. 780-496-0063 is how you can call or text. Follow me on Twitter at Reed Wilkins, R-E-I-D-W-I-L-K-I-N-S. And you can email inside sports at 630 Chet. Dot com. Kellen Kennedy back at the 630 Ched Broadcasting Compound. Kellen, how are things with you? I missed you last week, buddy. Yeah, I missed you too. Everything's going swimmingly here. we got the Boston and Tampa game going up on the, uh, the big screen back here at the Control Center. And uh, Now, what know? were you doing on the weekend? I thought I saw some sort of setup. What is it, Nitromaniac? That's your superhero yeah. name. What were you? What were you? That was a very elaborate setup. I was quite impressed. Thanks, man. Yeah, it's the first time I've ever tried it out to that uh, degree to have it set up like that. Uh, I was involved in a, kind of a pop up automotive swap meet uh, market on Saturday, uh, put on by uh, one of the local businesses on uh, that's uh, heavily involved in the car and automotive community here in Edmonton. Uh, it's the first time they've ever tried it. Uh, it was really cool to see all the uh, social distancing measures that they had set up for everybody there but uh yeah went out there and sold some uh dvds of some films that i've uh, compiled and worked on in the past and uh it was just such a great time it was good so no what dare i ask what these were films of oh d- <laughs> <laughs> yes just, i can share that d- just detail. a little black yeah. and white uh <laughs> You know, exploring so, the emotional depths of humanity. One, one of my one Where of my do hobbies we rank is in the universe. Yeah, one of my hobbies is I am a uh, videographer uh, for uh, different race teams and and just for my own, uh, I guess, <laughs> amusement and 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 fun for uh, uh, a lot of the race teams that race out of Castro Raceway uh, over on the 
drag race side. So uh, these were past uh, uh, drag racing events that um, I've had shot uh, throughout the years and that stuff that uh, have been compiled, and they're all uh, on YouTube. And uh, I've also compiled a lot of them with a lot of bonus stuff that didn't get to make the final product on uh, DVDs in the past. So that's what oh, I was selling out there. So yeah, so it was really cool. So uh, if anybody wants to find out more, just head on over to my Twitter, K-E-L-L-E-N-N-I-T-R-O. I got links to everything up there. So Killing Nitro. That's right. Because Nitro, of course, is your middle name. Yes. <laughs> that's, that's nothing to do with car racing. That's his actual that's, name. That's my actual middle name. That's true. <laughs> well, that's cool. Good for you for <laughs> getting involved in that, for sure. You got uh, it. Inside Sports on 630 Chat. Ten and a half to go. 1-1 one, one, Boston and Tampa. Patrick Russell for your Edmonton Oilers. A one-year, one-way contract. $700,000. Um Decent depth player, like I said, 45 games last season. I, I would think if the Oilers have a uh, team that is similar or a little bit better to this year, that's probably what, around what he would play over the course of 82 games. Still don't know what's, what's happening for sure next next year. Uh, John Shannon's talked a little bit about the possibility of four hub cities, likely in Canada. And uh, you'd go there for a couple of weeks at a time and play around Robin against the other teams. And then you might move on or get a little bit of a break. That's one proposal for the next regular season, likely to start in December. I think it'll still be tough for them to to travel to all the cities in the National Hockey League. And probably, uh, I think we're a ways away from seeing buildings full of fans. Maybe I think they're hoping they can get some fans back into the arenas at, at some point in in the next year or for the next hockey season, but uh, a lot to work out right now. They're, they're focusing on, on getting through this campaign, which is going well. I mean, again, still no uh, positive COVID tests inside the bubble daily testing and you can't leave the bubble. They were pretty strict on that, that if somebody were to leave a player or anybody with a team were to leave, you don't come back in and that's it. So uh, it's been working well in Toronto and Edmonton. They're going to have to get the Toronto teams to Edmonton, for uh, the conference finals and the cup final and they, you know they'll keep them inside a I guess a travel bubble to get them to get them into Edmonton and then away we go from there it's worked out it's worked out pretty well I know not all of you uh, are happy with the summer hockey I, I know there's uh, I still get some questions why are we doing this what will this tournament mean but I think they're playing under the circumstances to me whoever wins the cup is a legitimate champion you've you've had to go through it you've had to perform at the proper time sometimes playing games starting at uh, noon and sometimes playing games that are starting 8.30 or get pushed back a day because all of a sudden the game before you went to five overtimes like we saw with Carolina and, and Boston. So I have I have no questions about the validity of whoever lifts the Stanley Cup in uh, about a month from now. We got to pause for the 7.30 news and weather. Catch up with Jack Michaels when we get back. <laughs> Anthony Sorelli deflects Victor Hedman's point shot past Yaroslav Halak. The Lightning lead Boston 2-1. Now six minutes left in the third period. So Boston has to score a couple to keep their season going in about 10 minutes at Rogers Place. It's the Stars and the Avalanche. Jack Michaels, we will get to in about a minute. Rocket called in just before we uh, went to break on the open line. So I want to give him his time. Uh, Rocket, fire away, buddy. 
Reed, I was listening to you uh, earlier on the noon show when you were talking about your golf game. Yes. <laughs> and how you uh, wanted to give it up. You can't give it up. What you never mentioned, and what nobody mentioned, what it seems like to me is that you only have a certain amount of time, and they're usually charity events, you know, where you go out and you're playing, but I never, ever heard the word driving range. If well, no, it's true, yeah. Like a lot of people, you don't times, get to practice. If you go to the driving range, I swear to God, three times a week, and then you go play on the weekend. I don't know if you have that much time. I know you're really busy. But uh, <clears throat> repetition is key, my friend. Well, you're don't true. It, 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 no, you're right. And and I realize that. I mean, and I think a lot of people are like that. You never really, a lot of people never practice golf. They just go and play. And then uh, if they, I mean, the, the best round I played this year, the best I hit it, it wasn't the best I scored because I didn't, putt very well but the best i hit it this year was when i was playing my third round in the space of seven days right because you're you're getting into that group so i i realize that rocket and i appreciate your encouragement i still feel like i should be a little better than than i am but maybe i just have too high expectations for myself are you a good player uh, you know what i I've, I've played i played when i was younger at the vic golf course oh good my parents had a membership so i i often don't remember you know, the golf that I played when I was younger because I was more hockey lacrosse orientated. Right. And uh, the odd racket sport here and there. But uh, uh, we we did, I did play there quite a bit. And I remember that driving range and I love that driving range and, and pounding the ball can really, you know, and they have like putting greens there where you don't have to pay. You can just go practice yeah. your chips and putts and stuff like that. But uh, all of it is time consuming. And, uh, you know, throughout throughout my life, I've had, you know, uh, moments where I've, I've gone out a lot, like River Ridge, which is not far from Yager Ridge. Okay, yeah. Uh, I used to go to Bogey Buster's driving range, and I'd go three times a week, and I played my best golf when I went to the driving range a few times a week before I went. And then I'd go on the weekend and play, and I'd actually shoot, like, you know, below 90, which is a shock is good. for me, right? Yeah, which is really good. Yeah, All right. So I, I appreciate it, Rocket. Thanks for the encouragement, buddy. Yeah, man. Stay on it. That is Rocket at 780-496-0063. Appreciate him calling in for sure. Always appreciate talking to this young man. He is the play-by-play voice of your Edmonton Oilers on the Oilers Radio Network and 630 Chet. It is my good buddy, Jack Michaels. Jack, how have you been, man? I've been doing well, Reed. Another another person who's been tormented by the sport of golf. There's no question about that. <laughs> I, uh, I, you know what? I, it's repetition's great, except if your swing is lousy, and then I don't think repetition <laughs> helps you out at all. Yes. Well, what's the practice doesn't make perfect. Perfect practice makes perfect. I can't remember who modified that, but it was someone a lot wiser than us. Yeah. If you just keep repeating the same horrible swing over and over again. Right. That's the definition of insanity, like expecting to get better with my kind of swing. Needless to say, I, you know, while sage advice. And the other thing that I struggle with, Reed, is when you play poorly, you're not inclined to want to play more. You're inclined to want to play less. Yes. So, you know, as a result, I have a trouble. I have trouble staying in the groove 
only from the standpoint that if I do have a shaky four or five holes at the end of a round, I'm in no hurry to get back. Just want to let people know here, uh, first of all, 4-13 left, Tampa up 2-1 on Boston, Jack. So I'll keep people updated here throughout our our segment. And Michael Hutchinson is going to start in Game 5 for the Avalanche. Uh, Francois deemed unfit to play for uh, Game 5. So the Avs down to their third-string goaltender as they try to stay alive against Dallas. I also want to mention on the scoreboard, Jack, because we want to talk a little bit of tennis too, Denis Shapovalov, the Canadian, winning in four sets at the U.S. Open, which is underway uh, over Sebastian Corda. So so good for him. But, man, I mean, Bianca's not playing, Jack, and I was thinking about that because uh, you were so high on, on her. I think we're about 10 or 11 months since she last played now, and she's not going in the U.S. Open. Yeah, it's tough. She's, you know, she had some injuries early and, and, you know, really hasn't been able to get back into the groove. And of course, COVID has thrown everyone for a loop. And quite frankly, this U.S. Open, you know, no matter what, it's going to have a bit of an asterisk by it because a lot of the top players like Andrescu have elected not to play on the men's side, obviously, most notably Rafa Nadal and Roger Federer. So, it's a it's a U.S. Open without fans uh, and without kind of the atmosphere. I think the U.S. Open is the one tennis tournament where there's a real atmosphere akin to you know what we're used to seeing in the National Hockey League. That unfortunately we're not getting this year either. It is going to be weird to watch without fans, and even watching uh, the the days blended a bit to me because I think it was Saturday round that Djokovic played in Cincinnati. And that was weird watching that without fans. And the U.S. Open has that. Well, correct me if I'm wrong, is but wasn't that tournament actually played in the same same grounds? They, they didn't play it in Cincinnati. Or sorry, it was the one that's usually in Cincinnati, right? Right, usually in Cincinnati, but they sorry, played yeah. in New York. Yeah, it's it's weird. I mean, I, you know, and that that also carried over to the one golf tournament. I think they played two two tournaments in the a Memorial Nicholas's course yeah. in Ohio. So yeah. Yeah, yeah, you're right. It's, it's, a, it's a bizarre year. And it's just, I think I'm thinking of all those great – I mean, the first year, Jack, I really watched a lot of the U.S. Open, and, I, and I've, I, I've told the story numerous times. Like, I grew up with, with two channels, so for tennis, you might get a, the final of a tournament if CTV or CBC picked it up when I was a kid. And then in 91, I came to university, and I lived at my aunt's for my first year. And she had cable. So now I'm watching like TSN and CBS. And that was the year Connors did his. just tied it, by the way. Oh, your TV's like four seconds ahead of mine. (laughs) They were just putting it to the net when you said that. All right. So Boston has tied it with about uh, three minutes left, 233 left. But yeah, I mean, so much of what Connors did was based on the crowd. And let's face it, like Connors in that year, Jack, and I know it's celebrated and it was the 36 or 39 or whatever, but he was like downright unsportsmanlike a lot of the times to his opponent and to the officials, but he had the wave of the crowd behind him and he kind of just rode it and got away with everything. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, you know, I, I first of all, I'm, I'm amazed that there was another Wilkins residence you were able to piggyback on you've got quite the family compound in this town but uh in any event i you know it's for me i i have not gotten used to the lack of fans and uh you know it's 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 something that i hope we're we're going to be able to solve here in the next four or five months because uh what we're finding out with sports and certainly we miss them and we appreciate what's out there but 
Uh, we also realize, you know, what what's missing and, and how fans uh, lend a certain atmosphere to the event that makes it that much more special to watch. At least that's from my perspective. I don't know. Maybe there's some people out there who, who don't notice it and don't care. But I, I quite frankly feel like it's, uh, you know, a pretty significant deal. And Boston's going to get a power play here with a minute 56 left yeah, in the third and the game tied 2-2. Phantom call on Edmund. You talk about selling it. That was a uh, that was a tough penalty to be called there. I, Reed, when you see this replay, yeah, there's not much there. I, I'm getting it now. Yeah, there's 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 not much there. I'm I'm sorry. That they tough... call that though, Jack. If the stick goes in the feet, they they usually call it. Yeah, that's that's a tough one. I thought but at live speed it looked, certainly looked like he sold it pretty hard, but it was Castle that went down. Sound like my partner. Uh, <laughs> it's 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 a real interesting. But uh, Barshad's hooking Gord right before that. That's and I was I talked about that in the first ten minutes of the show tonight. That is Boston. They they got incredible skill. They got depth. And they got those guys. They they push the rules. They push the rules. They, they push the officials. They know how to play. Yeah, and poor power to them. I mean, hey, if the Oilers would, could do that, I'd be like, great, you're winning games and you're you have you're in the other team's head. And I honestly think, okay, if, I'm going to say this, and you may laugh me off. I honestly think teams like the Bruins, this Bruins era, they can also get in the officials' heads as well, not just opponents, because you know Char is basically like, look, I'm going to slash a guy after the whistle every time he's in front of the net. You're going to give me 20 penalties, or you're going to let me get away with the the 19 weakest slashes out of the 20. You know what? I, I really think that's part of their gamesmanship. Well, I think as you earn a certain respect and a certain, uh, you know, level in this, in the league, uh, whether it be eight, 10 seasons or, or just being a phenomenal player, I, I do think you earn a certain degree of, of calls from the officials. Now there's a lot of people in Edmonton who say that, you know, Connor McDavid does not get enough calls for, you know, what what should be, you know, a number of extra stick infractions that aren't called against him on a year-by-year basis. And, you know, I think there's some merit to that. I, I think that what you just said, you know, are you going to call me for that flash each and every time? I think it actually works against Connor McDavid because of the five or six obstruction, you know, situations there might be in a certain game, uh, you're not going to call all five or six. At least that's been my experience in watching McDavid for his five years in the league. All right, looks like it's going to be overtime because Tampa just iced the puck shorthanded with eight seconds to go. Boston might take a long shot from the blue line. Pasternak fanned on it from the top of the circle. Might have been partially blocked. So there will be overtime. I I, I did want to ask you, sorry, I'm circling back to the tennis jack, but have you been to the U.S. Open? I have, and my dad's been three times. I've been once, and, uh, you know, it's it's quite the spectacle. It's, uh, I actually prefer Wimbledon, but it's absolutely, uh, you know, if you're a tennis fan, uh, it's one of those situations where, you know, there's there's worse things that you can be doing than watching, you know, 30 or 40 matches in a given day. I, I really enjoy going to the tournaments. I enjoy uh, taking it all in. And, and again, I, I think that the entire atmosphere surrounding those type of events are what we're missing right now. Jack, uh, Stars and Avalanche coming up. I mentioned Avalanche going down to their third-string goaltender for this game. That's really torpedoed their chances because I really thought, you know, in the first set of games that were played, uh, 
in you know in the league in the in the place playoffs. I, I thought Colorado and and Vegas were a clear notch ahead, and I think goaltending has really torpedoed Colorado's chances. I I, I think that uh, I don't think they were getting great goaltending, uh, and and you know what I give you know full marks to Dallas. They have found a way. Uh, to reinvent themselves and score a bit. And for whatever reason, about a year and a half ago, Dallas's offense completely dried up. It's interesting. You know, the last real productive year the Stars had offensively, and especially guys like Ben and Sagan, came under Ken Hitchcock. And mm-hmm. then Bishop got hurt with about 15 games to go. What would that have been? The 17-18 season. And they fell apart and didn't make the playoffs. He wasn't brought back. Ended up coming to Edmonton the next year, right about at the same point that Dallas forgot how to score. And they've been winning games behind Bishop and behind Udobin for the last year and a half. And all of a sudden, these playoffs with Bishop out, uh, they found a way to win games 4-3 and 5-4 that they weren't winning. I mean, this was a Dallas club that I believe at one point in the year, Reed, They'd scored, they'd scored something like more than three goals in a game twice in their first 40 games or something absurd like that. I mean, yeah. their offense completely dried up and, and full marks to them. They've had a turbulent year uh, with a coaching change. And Rick Bonus, who's one of the nicest guys in hockey, uh, yeah, I, I got to say that, you know, I was, I was rooting for a Colorado-Vegas final because I thought they were not only the two best teams but the two most exciting teams. But it's hard to feel anything other than a positive vibe for Rick Bonus. He's worked a long time in this league, and his team is really playing hard for him. And all of a sudden, they found their scoring touch. I want to ask you about another head coach, Jack, before I let you go. Barry Trotz, he and the Islanders are up three games to one. I, I mean, Barry Trotz is the fourth winningest head coach in NHL history. I guess you can say he only has one Stanley Cup, but, I, I mean, uh, Hitch is four wins ahead of him. Hitch ultimately only won one cup. Is it possible that Barry Trotz is still actually underrated as a head coach, as, as great as his career has been? Well, I think that a lot of accolades have come his way since finally winning that cup with Washington. I mean, you know, before winning that cup with the Capitals, I believe he had not ever been past the second round of the playoffs. I'm, I'm yeah, Nashville never made it past the second round. Yeah, I'm 99% sure that's right. So, you know, before that Stanley Cup, he had he had never been past the second round. And he, I think the fact, the, the thing that really elevated him, interestingly enough, Reed, in my opinion, is he won the Cup with Washington as opposed to winning it with Pittsburgh or Chicago or a team that had won more recently. The fact that he was able to, you know, kind of be the catalyst for Washington finally getting over the hump over years of frustration of, of often being the better team in a series and somehow finding a way to lose going all the way back to the mid-1980s. I think that really elevated his stature in the game. Winning the Cup, but winning it with a team that had a real tortured history, a, a history like the Cleveland Browns. I mean, it just you know a, a team that just couldn't win the big one. And I think that really put him on the next level. And what's interesting is is he's taken an Islander club that that is you know markedly different from the ones that qualified for the postseason under Jack Capiano that played a you know a real exciting brand of hockey that were were never. 
you know, no no lead was safe in an Islander game. Uh, you know, when they had guys like Tavares and Matt Molson, you know, they were winning games five four and six four and losing games five four six four. It was it was exciting when the Islanders were back in the playoffs and and playing, you know, on Long Island with, with that crowd. And now all of a sudden, you know, really within the span of what two and a half years. He's completely reinvented that team, and they're just grinding out one, two, one, or three, one victory after another. So I, I think the fact that he's gone in there and taken one way of winning and completely reinvented it into a different way, but but with you know not only the same degree of success but a greater degree of success, I think is remarkable. I mean, he's got guys that were known for being kind of run-and-gun hockey players or, and loving the offensive side of the puck, and he's got them just grinding other teams down. And right now with the Islanders, I'm not sure that New York, even with, you know, look, Semyon Barlamov, when you think about it, Reed, I'm not sure he's in my top seven or eight in terms of goaltenders, but I'm not sure that there's a team in the league that I feel more comfortable with a 2-1 lead with five minutes to go than the New York Islanders. I mean, they've got an amazing close rate. So if they keep it up, they're going to be a handful for Tampa in this conference final. I'm telling you, like, he's got them on autopilot right now. Yeah, very, like they're just such a dogged team. No holes in the lineup, and and they get the big goal at, at the right time. And Bishop, by the way, the starting goalie for Dallas tonight, and I mentioned Hutchinson for Colorado. Hey, Jack, thanks for fitting me in. I I, I know you've been having some fun family time lately, uh, too, and I hope everybody's all all great in your world, buddy. Always a pleasure, Reed. That is Jack Michaels, play-by-play voice for your Edmonton Oilers, checking in on Inside Sports. Dallas and Colorado are thirty seconds into the game and Tampa Bay and Boston will go to overtime back after the break. Krejci right circle now. Here's Bjork up top. Clifton far point. Chara sends it out in front. They score! David Krejci in the slot. Buries it. We're tied at two. Big goal there for the Bruins. They are still alive. That tied it at 7.27 of the third period. Boston then had a power play in the final two minutes. Couldn't find the winning goal. They'll have a few seconds left on that power play into overtime, but uh, not enough time to, to get, get set up on it. So Boston and Tampa Bay 2-2 heading to overtime. Boston must win to stay alive. Dallas and Colorado are underway three and a half minutes into the first period. And, of course, Dallas leads that series three games to one. The Oilers news today, Patrick Russell re-signed one year, one-way deal, worth $700,000. And he was on Oilers Now with Bob Stoffer, guest host Brendan Escott in the chair today. And he asked, Patrick, how can you improve? What do you want to work on when you come back? You know, I, I think I just need to sometimes play with a little more confidence Uh trust in, in what I do out there and I think that comes with being around the NHL longer and uh, for another season and make, hopefully I can I can bring some more offense to the table but still not take away the biggest part of my game and being solid and, and physical and heavy to play against so yeah a little, a little more offense that, that would be nice for sure and you can get more on Patrick Russell and his new deal on 630Ched.com, globalnews.ca. All right, good to be back. Thanks to Dave Campbell for filling in last week. 
And of course, he's also the producer of the show, Kellen Kennedy, your studio producer this evening. Thanks to everybody for listening and for chiming in on the text line. It is always a pleasure to hear from you. We are scheduled to be joined tomorrow by Greg Ellingson, receiver for the EE football team. And we'll have some more fun lined up for you along the way too. Dallas and Colorado scoreless about four and a half minutes into the first period. Tampa Bay and Boston will play overtime tied 2-2. Thanks a lot for tuning in. Take care. 630 Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 630 Chad.